Welcome to another episode of A Pint with Shawnee B, uh, coming to you all the way from Brooklyn, Fort Greene in Brooklyn. I guess this is New York, and so we do have a sponsor for this show, which is Hands Tooth Bar and uh, Stitch Bar, which uh, my guest is actually familiar with because he's worked there with me on a couple of occasions. Um, please continue to like and share the podcast. We're getting good uh, response from you all. Thank you very much for that. Today's guest is a very good friend of mine, a one of the most creative people I know, a joyful fella, and uh, he's always he's always positive and upbeat. This is uh, Craig Damrad. Craig and I worked together when I first came to New York in 2008. He was at JWT. He has a very illustrious advertising career, but he is here today, in my view, to talk more about his art, because I see him much more as an artist, and I think he does too. Welcome to the podcast, Craig. Thanks. You've been on a podcast before? No. no. <laughs> well, we were talking about this, and I was going, I'm not sure Craig's really up for this. He's like, yeah, really, Sean? But he's very kindly agreed to do this. we we'll see how it goes. I have to do a little bit of community service. Yeah, thanks for, for that. Yeah. yeah um, you're from Colorado, right? Yeah. And you were born and raised there? Yeah. In Denver, yeah, Denver. which is where I live for the last two years. And I, I love it. I know Broncos. What was your What was your uh, What was your background like? Was it a very artistic? I, my mom and dad are scientists. Huh. Doing what? My dad was a, a taught organic chemistry, and my mom was an adjunct, so she kind of moved around. But she taught. Um, Did they meet one night late in the lab? Probably in she college. Took her pin, uh, let her hair University down, took her glasses of off, instead of brown. <laughs> University of Michigan. <laughs> I, yeah, probably. <laughs> Although you know, actually, I bugged her. Were you baby. She said she said that uh, there weren't a lot of females in the chemistry department at the time. Right, right. So she was quite she was quite busy. <laughs> There's going to be some great chemistry jokes we can crack here. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> you just did. And uh, they had a lot of chemistry, obviously. So that so they were so they were very academic. Yeah. So they were, well, yeah, they were very. I mean, they're scientists basically. Mm. And my mom, and so a lot of. I, I remember very vividly lots of conversations at the dinner table that would go over my brother's and my head yeah. because they would just be talking about research or about different yeah. things and scientific stuff. But then also, like I think scientists are trained trained to think a very specific way, which is experiment, step, repeat, experiment, yeah. step, repeat. It's very rational. Completely. But it's also, my brother and I talk about because my brother's gone on to become a scientist. He, ah. he works in Boulder. So we talk about what our brain, how our brains are different, yeah. and how our brains are the same, and I feel like they're very, very similar. I'm not well schooled in all the literature. I'm, you know, better schooled in the artistic literature. But he's, he basically, we both basically take a, you know, ask a question and then start fucking around in order to try, try to find an answer you give him the crazy idea and he goes and tests it for you correct right <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. and what, what, what did you find did you like because I love living in Denver it was so, it's such a hidden mm-hmm. part of America because people just fly over it but when you're actually there it's great it's That's outdoorsy cool. yeah. and it's, it feels healthy when I was growing up it had like a nice punk rock culture and a lot yeah. of weirdness and so did you go to college in Denver? No. So I went I basically wanted to get out of Denver really badly and, why? and uh uh, what was that Groucho Marx quote? It was something like, "I've had a lovely time, but this wasn't it." Right. He <laughs> was leaving some party. I've been there. I've been there forever, and I just I wanted to go somewhere else. I basically went to the college that was the furthest from Denver that I got into. So I went to this little school in Maine called Colby College. Wow, that is far away. It was yeah. really far away, yeah. and I had this like ridiculously romantic. I'd never been to Maine. 
had this totally it's beautiful. Different, it's beautiful. So what did you study there? I studied English. Ah. I went there to be a physicist. And, oh, um, right. Yeah, I, wanted, I mean, I wanted to go straight down the line that the, the, that the, line. That the family had set. And I really struggled. I struggled, to be honest with you, with the math. But the one thing I'd never understood, and I don't actually not sure quite why I've never understood this, even almost to this day, but I've never understood that you can actually do something that you like Brilliant. <laughs> in this world. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think it was a little bit of like, you have to do something that makes sense, that you can pay your bills with or whatever. So I never thought that I could study art. Never thought, I never gave it a yeah. thought. And, um, and then writing, I took a, a little bit of time off of school. I hated it. Mm. I hated it. And it wasn't because I struggled with the studies. I'd just never been around that type of rich kid before yeah. <laughs> really odd people and uh, uh, I took a semester off and I just was like what do I do like how do I deal with all this shit mm. and I liked to read based on the razor's edge loafed which meant I laid in my backyard and read the whole summer right. so I knew that I was like oh cool I can actually do what I love to do and then major in it and whatever and then at some point in college really 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 strong writing professors and so I, fe- I found writing and and then that just sort of like set me on this huh. road of sort of doing things that I like to do that I was actually relatively good at. It's a it's a common theme in a lot of the guests that I've spoken to. Oh, this. what? Just Failure? this idea that <laughs> you know, the people kind of are vintage, were the kind of first that were like uh, sort of semi-empowered to go. I, I think the kids today, I think if you take your kids, you would be, I think, pushing them to be happy or do whatever Completely. they feel, what they want, you know, yeah. find the thing that they like. Whereas I agree with you, like... Back in the day, it was parents were pushing their kids to do things that showed them in a good light or that maybe were a reflection of the amount of points they got in the final exam at school. You know, your your scholastic aptitude (laughs) then decides what you do for your life. Completely. And and, And a lot of people were doing things they didn't like. And maybe it's because of technology or the internet or just the wide, the openness that we have that we were able to... To do that, what what? And how did you t- how did you do in English then when you were up in Maine? Was that in Maine as well? You just yeah yeah. So I went back to that over. school. I don't know why. I, I actually don't quite know why I went back to that school, but I'm actually glad I did. But I went back, found writing, found English, and yeah, I did I did relatively well. I'm not gonna. I don't. I can't produce the transcripts. <laughs> <laughs> and what? And, and then did you come to New York after Maine? No, I didn't. I went to uh, this is you guy. This maybe this maybe a longer podcast than you want. I had been working in food service for a while. I worked in, at college, I worked in the bakery. Over a few summers, I had been a dishwasher. One of the latter dishwashing jobs was in, at a fancy restaurant in Denver, the name of which I'm completely forgetting. And I kind of caught this weird bug. And I remember actually now very vividly why. It was they made their own ravioli one night as a special. And I was like, holy shit, you can make it doesn't just come out of a can. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was really, there was something really interesting about that. So then I was a baker, and then I went back to Denver, and I knew that at some point I would go to graduate school for writing, mm-hmm. but I didn't know when. I just wanted to write and fuck around, and, yeah. and so I ended up getting a job chopping vegetables at this restaurant. I chopped vegetables, and then I slowly kind of rose in that restaurant. Before I knew it, I was the kitchen manager. What age were you? I must have been about 22. Right. So um, you'd, done your co- you'd done your college. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'd done college and I was done. I, was a grad, I had a big fat piece of paper saying that I was competent to do nothing <laughs> at all yeah. except chop vegetables. But then they, gave, they hired a chef, a head chef who was, who was an ex-culinary 
teacher, and I just pestered him with questions. Like, I bothered him constantly. Right. And then he got would get really sick of telling me stuff, and so he would hand me these books. One book was Food Science, which is called On Food and Cooking, uh-huh. which every everyone should own. And then eventually I got... I worked and worked and worked, got tired of working, left one job, went to another job, left that job, and then kind of realized that I needed to go leave the town and go to graduate school. Went to graduate school in Arizona, Tucson, at the University of Arizona, for writing, but then also started working in fancy pants restaurants, like the the really fancy ones in Tucson. Right. Made it through graduate school, understood. So are you all into the Hester Blumenthal kind of... Molecular gastro. Have you heard of him? He's no, I hate all that. Shit. You hate all that. Well, that that's kind of chemistry all, yeah, and, yeah. and food. Yeah. No, I think all that stuff is no, but I understand chemically how to make a sauce. Like I understand right. what what goes into making the sauce. I understand what goes into making the salad dressing or vinaigrette. So I can once you know how it all works. Yeah. Then you know how to experiment with it. Yeah. And it's not. I'm not interested in. So you mean stopping things congealing or yeah, the oil yeah, not exactly, separating exactly, from exactly, okay, exactly. Okay. Like making nice quality. So was it stuff. was it a close call then that you didn't <laughs> become like a famous chef? I don't know if I ever would have become a famous chef, but I did. Um, I, when I got to New York, I trailed at one of the fanciest restaurants in the city, and kind of had to make a decision at that moment, which yeah. was. Do I want to spend twelve hours a day, I know, it's tough. six days a week, and you know, two floors below the sidewalk in a kitchen? Which um, restaurant was it? It was called Oriole. It was on Sixty right. Second in Madison. Right. But I, and I definitely was headed in that direction. And this was that moment when chefs were starting to become well known. I think about Anthony Bourdain had had written a few pieces in the time, in the New Yorker, and yeah. you know, sort of identifying chefs as human beings and people who had thoughts and who weren't fucking yeah. morons. Yeah. I think one of the things about it, I'm really impressed with restaurants that can just deliver day in, day out. It's incredible. Because I think if I ever did it, I'd really, really work hard to get like that great review or those stars. And then I go, okay, done that, fuck it. But my favorite restaurant's been going for 26 years. In Sydney, it's called Bon Bon Recordo. And the same guy throws the fucking pans and pots at his chefs in the back he's a screamer but you know he, he it's all done for perfection I know but he has the same staff for 20 years because they believe they say stuff like he cares yeah. about the food yeah. yes he occasionally yeah. bowls us out but that's because we haven't done it right it's scary but like the food is delicious. but it's great. simple peasant food which right. I like which I, I love it's, yeah. it's white tablecloths and it's it's fancy sommeliers but it's just scooped onto your plate I it's think that's all I mean I think Julia Child at some point said, you know, the more arranged your plate is, the more hands have been on that food. That's a good point. And yeah. uh, and I'm the, I'm the same way. Like, and do you cook at home? Yeah. It, okay. Yeah, yeah. So you look. So that was great handy pleasure. for your wife. Yes, yeah, she. Yeah, finding a guy who can cook and a very nice guy yeah. as well. Rare. It's well done. Um, yeah. And so then you made this call. Was it a financial call that said, "I, I there's not as much money in in food"? Or I never, no, no, I never. You know, it's funny because I moved to New York. Um, and the most I'd ever made it in a year was $14,000. I had no sense. And I remember very vividly during that time, I, I just couldn't bring myself to go underground for, for 12 hours a day, six yeah. days a week. And so then I stopped. And then a friend of mine's mom was like, you should go work in advertising. And <laughs> As you like, do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're good for nothing. Yeah. I mean, she did. And she got me an interview with this guy who was kind of well-known at the time, and, and now he lives on a boat and, and makes high-end uh, tequila. Brilliant. Who's that? But Andy Berlin. Do you know I've heard name? of him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was really... He was, he was amazing. Where guy. was he? Deutsch or somewhere? He was at... 
the, the place that I worked at was called Fallon Berlin. It was oh, Fallon had decided to open up a New York office. And he was a cra- he was crazy. Yeah. He was out of his mind. It yeah. was great. I had my fucking resume, which said that I was really good at cooking. <laughs> I had my... <laughs> and nothing else. <laughs> and I had a 20-page short story that I had written. I must, must have written it in graduate school. And I handed him my dumb resume, and I handed him that 20-page short story... And he sat there and he fucking read the whole story, which takes like 20 minutes. Sit on him. In front of me. Page after page <laughs> after page. And I just sort of sat there and stared like at him and book. stared out the window. Totally. It's yeah. amazing. And then he goes, you shouldn't work in advertising. And I was like, well, how do I know that? And he was like, okay, fine. We'll give you a shot. We'll give you a He job. meant you were too good, though, did he? I don't know what he meant. Right. I, think, I think he meant that... It's like a Coen I, Brothers movie. I can see this. I know. He really, yeah. He would, he would be played, he'd be played by Josh Brolin. Um, but he... Uh, <laughs> you, you'd be John Turturro. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd be fucking Buscemi. Buscemi. Um, but he... Uh, and so he... God, Turturro would do a good job. Subsequently thought about it. I think he may have been right. But I think he meant that advertising would suck all of what you need out of you. And what's his name? Banksy has always said that he, he thinks that advertising has stolen all the great artists. Yeah. And I, in a way, I agree with both of them. I don't wish I had taken it as advice because we wouldn't be sitting here, but um, but I do I do think about that moment a lot. But he, so he said, he basically said, we'll give, you a sh- we'll give you a shot. We'll hire you for a month. And if you like us and if we like you, then we'll, we'll keep you. And, but, and then the amount of money that he handed me was like, I mean, nothing in advertising, but it was so much more than I'd ever seen yeah. in, in the cooking. Yeah. And so all of a sudden I was like, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm always dissing advertising <laughs> on these shows, but it is a very meritocracy when it comes to paying people. I mean, I think if you're good, they tend to throw money at you yeah, when you're a kid. I agree. I agree. Um, and that's fair. Unfortunately, some people play yeah. the game and yeah, get and paid a lot more. They're, not, they're no good at all. Yeah, how would we you have a few names. We have a few people who are rich. <laughs> it's a meritocracy plus brown ass brown kiss assery <laughs> yeah yeah plus politics plus, yeah exactly <laughs> so the, what, what he's referring to is his first major <laughs> arts project he's been trying to segue into it as no, you can probably not. hear for the last 10, ten minutes uh, he, he's one of his most beautiful things he's done is uh, a book and you know website and all that stuff uh, called uh, The New Math and uh, I'll let Craig explain what it is oh god thank you that's really nice it's an I, open-ended question. It's an open brief. <laughs> <laughs> this was the book that when I first met Craig, when I was pushed over to his desk, when I first went in for interviews in the JWT, I was told to uh, to see him about this. So it's, it was a blue book that was that was absolute genius. Look it up online, newmath.com, I guess. No, it's, it's morenewmath. Morenewmath.com. Explain what it is and how you came up with the idea. That's a, that's a tough one. Um, I, I mean, the way that I describe the equations themselves and it was like a 10-year project basically but it was an attempt to describe the world using basic math and um with words instead of numbers yeah well i'm sorry yeah that's right with words and basic math so like dog is equal to cat plus loyalty um modern art is equal to i could do that plus yeah but you didn't (laughs) Um, so there are all these little beautiful equations that make you think and are funny and 
There's loads of them. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, that's I amazing. guess you can still buy the book on no, Amazon. You can't buy the you book. Yeah. Buy the book. Okay, yeah, I that's have a, a copy that's somewhere. A, that book fell apart. It I mean, did. A, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was it was a beautiful blue book, but the binding or whatever was just was bad. Disaster. Yeah, 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 disaster. Yeah. I did. So what happened was that I did. Um, I left the. Ho- I was feeling pretty glum, and I, I left the house with this tiny little notebook. And I said, "You cannot come back to the house until you've filled up the notebook." Wow. So I would I wandered around Manhattan and I would write things or I'd draw things or whatever and I came back and by that at that point I'd written two of the equations and still to this day are kind of the good ones and then and then I had come up with another idea for a, a set of books I'd written this little book called um, called Things I Learned from My Alien Abduction which was just this like, little piece of advice like just wear clean underwear yeah like that. yeah 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 yeah. yeah. At what point did you? At what point did you say to yourself, "I'm an artist now"? About a week ago. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a battle. I mean, I don't. Yeah, I, 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 agree, I think yeah. that. I think that. At times, I feel like when you say that you're an artist, you're you're admitting a kind of egotism, yeah. and that your thinking matters, and in a way that bothers me tremendously. Mm. Because in a way, I don't. I don't know if the universe really needs any more art. <laughs> yeah, um, maybe. But I, I, I think I'm wrong. But it probably that. needs more art than it does shit ads. Commerce, yeah, for fucking and sure. It yeah. probably needs yeah. more art than it needs politicians, and you know. So yeah, I think yeah. I think no, there's I a lot of things the universe doesn't need. But yeah, you, I think, I think, I think art, art would be quite yeah. Low I agree, down I, the list I agree with you, but I think that if push comes to shove, the artists are the ones that are going to get eaten first. <laughs> I, I think that I think also coming from advertising, it's like we write something and we are often told it's not right. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and, and, and we, yeah. We, we we are constantly seeking approval for what we do from yeah. an idiot client usually, yeah. right? Who has no yeah. idea. Yes, and so we get caught in this kind of. And that's why the frustration of the, oh, the emotion is the woman hugging her kid at the end of the ad, right? you know, and, and, and you yeah. know, really simplistic stuff where you have higher minds working on it from an artistic point of view. Right. Just, I mean, when you say Banksy said advertising stole all the artists, yeah. I would say maybe that was right in the eighties and nineties, but I would not say that's. that's I agree. Well, I think that's today. right. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think the money thing is tipping art in a specific way. I also think that. Um, a lot of art nowadays is really, really bad, um, and it doesn't move you in any way to yeah. perform. And so, I mean, I, I, I battle with it a lot because I think that art—I mean, at least the work that I do—is very, very uncommercial. Mm-hmm. You know, for a long time, people would be like, you know, an ad company would call me up and say, "Would you write equations for, yeah. for our product?" And um, you never bid on that. I never did, and I never Which is did. Very laudable. I guess, but, but, but I was making, I, I wanted a division in my life. Like yeah. I wanted it to be pure. I did get paid to do it for the Atlantic for a year, but I felt like that was editorial. Yeah. Well, that's um, like a cartoon sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah basically it was. Um, I think I paid Fuckle for I got the yeah, guy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I volunteered. So you were in, <laughs> did you, the question I was kind of asking was you, when I say oh, maybe you didn't say you were an artist, but yeah. Was that a, a purpose decision to leave the business because it was sucking something out of you and you wanted to get back to roots or you were over the... No, I think I've always seen advertising, and I probably shouldn't say this out loud, but I've always seen that advertising as a way to make money. Yeah. <laughs> and I've never the seen... The film it. industry, independent film is based on that, you know, like... Yeah, that's right. Short film is based on, you know, ads, ad agencies come along with a million dollars to do a shoot that you could do for 50 grand. That's <laughs> <laughs> really true. I remember that really vividly, by the way. My first commercials I made. But, uh, it's a very fair trade-off. 
I agree. Yeah, advertising is using you more than you're using advertising. Don't get any just. Can't be you know, right. It's, you it's totally right. true. I mean, they're, 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 if, if you if you are of no use to them, they would not hire you. That's the way. No they're, doubt. they're vicious bastards. No doubt. So you the fact that they do pay you well now yes, that allows you to fund your art. <laughs> exactly. No. I would I would do it because it was a job and because it paid me, and then I would not do it when when I could, so that I could do the things that were. Yeah. far more interesting to me to be honest I mean I, I think that the reason I would say that I'm an artist now or a writer I think the way that you define that is that you say I don't know the way I think unless I write I don't know the way I think unless I make something and that's really for me that's just that's the deal basically well there's elements of science and physics in that completely yeah yeah that's, that's absolutely and, right. and, and another physics type of project which I loved <laughs> was the uh, branches thing. yeah can you explain that oh that's, that was a beautiful yeah my wife got a job down in new orleans and i felt like we wanted a break from new york and decided to move down there and some of this was driven because i was walking around advertising agencies and i was seeing all this technology that we that people were starting to experiment with there's a sensor in your iphone that's called an accelerometer that people now know, know the name of but there was a time when no one had ever heard of it but it, it's i don't know what it is so it's basically the thing that tells your tells your iPhone when it's been moved. Oh. So basically it's just... It's the it, one that irritatingly flips it on its side when you exactly. don't want to No, that's right. exactly right. Okay. There's two sensors that it's are really interesting. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. There's a, but so there's an accelerometer and then there's a GPS sensor inside your phone. And, and, um, and so those tell your phone a lot of really interesting pieces of information. One is, that, one is when it's been moved, but then the other is that when it's been moved in space. Right. And so I started um, playing around with those Sensors. I bought a few, and then I know a tiny bit about about electronics from when I was a kid, and and I don't. I'm not afraid to take things apart, and that's all. That's all science. But yeah. That's all being growing up in a wild house of scientists. And I was taking those sensors, sorry, and I was programming them so that they would gather visual spatial data as tree branches moved in the wind. So what I was trying to do was get the tree to essentially make these drawings and make these sculptures by, by capturing a lot of data. Right. So I was doing that in New York. Got to New Orleans in, I think, 2011. I, was, I got there in July, and I think it was in August that they had a hurricane. The, the hurricane brought down tons and tons of tree branches. And so I'd start to drag them into my studio, ostensibly so that I could then use them to put the sensors on. But I started then taking them apart. I started cutting them into segments and then re rebuilding them, and then I realized that I could get them to dance, and 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 I bought these incredibly tiny little propellers that were made for these micro model airplanes, and I would put them on the tips of the tree branches and try to get them to do these nice. really oddball movements. So essentially, what I did then is I took these tree branches, rebuilt them like with all these interesting little segments dangled them upside down on these very, very, very thin wires and then put these propellers in their tips and then wrote code. I would run wires at the center and then I would write code that t would turn the propellers on and off so that I could get movement. So a museum bought this piece or showed this piece? Showed it, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So the, the effect was you're in a big room and you see this sort of upside-down tree exactly. that actually just is moving seemingly of its own accord in, yeah, I mean, beautiful. And, really and, Again, really original. I think one of the things, again, when you talk about moving to New Orleans, I, at the time, you took up this 
a mantle of writing these uh, <laughs> sort of little well, I don't even know what you call them little short stories about your life in yeah. New Orleans that you put on Facebook and you sadly seem to have told Facebook to go fuck itself but you you, uh, <laughs> you had these beautiful <laughs> long pieces that you used to occasionally just drop onto Facebook that were absolutely beautiful uh, uh, really evocative and I'd never been to New Orleans and when you're really a writer like that's what you do like that's yeah. how you make sense of it so I think I was trying to I think I wanted something that had a little bit more substance. So I was just throwing. There was one I remember. I mean, this was these were five years ago, I yeah, suppose. I mean, I there was one I remember right. where uh, uh, maybe an upstairs house went on fire. Yeah. It was brilliant. That was terrifying. I know. Well, if you, it was terrifying. <laughs> you, you captured it. <laughs> um, then the other it. thing that you're doing, which is just mental, is the uh, Citizen Kane project. Oh, yeah. tell it. I mean, again, we're we're just finished. We're recording this, and it's actually snowing outside. Not in early me. March, um, so we just had the Oscars, which of course were riddled with why they're so um, anti-black or pro-white or whatever. Uh, Chris Rock did a pretty good job of um, I wish I, I didn't dismantling that when he was hosting. But for the last while, Craig has been working on a very interesting project featuring the movie Citizen Kane. Tell us about it. I'm basically going frame by frame through the movie Citizen Kane, and I'm erasing the entire movie, with the exception of the black characters. Um, there's 22 black people in Citizen Kane, and they play the following roles. There are three loiterers, there is one driver, a man named Joseph who's like a servant for Kane. there's a woman who plays a maid, and there are two bands. And th- that's it. And they amount to, the movie's an hour and 59 minutes, they amount to 2.9 minutes of screen time. Right. This is the most iconic movie that was made in the 20th century. Yeah. Uh, for so me... The, so the effect... He just showed me before we, we pressed <clears throat> record here, he just showed me where he's at with this. And what you see is this, is this scratchy whiteout <laughs> going on for minutes and minutes and minutes with the soundtrack of the movie playing in the background. And every so often, a brief glimpse of African-American comes out of the screen and disappears. And it's, yeah, quite, quite uh, it's there's something disturbing and uh, trance-like about it as well. It's very, yeah, it's very yeah. compelling to sort of sit there and even watch it. I don't think I'm representing new news, to be honest with you. Right. I think that, um, I, I, in fact, I think it's quite old news. I think. That, yeah. I mean, and if you look at any of the the points that anybody makes, I mean, I have this Baldwin quote right here that sits over my desk. We're talking at my desk. You know, the the Baldwin quote is. I mean, this is this quote really. Uh, does it for me but um, it's from an essay called Theater the Negro in and out and it says this it says now the Negro actor after all is also a person and was not born two seconds before he enters the casting office by the time he gets to that office he has probably been an elevator boy a cab driver a dishwasher a porter a longshoreman his blood is already thick with humiliations and if he has any sense at all he knows how small are his chances of making it in the theater. He does a great deal of acting in the casting office, more probably than he will ever be allowed to do on stage. And whatever his training, he is not there to get a role he really wants to play. He is there to get a role which will allow him to be seen. I mean, this sense chills up my spine, yeah. to be honest with you. That's Baldwin, I mean, that's, that's 50 years ago. Um, there, well, there's a, there's a... And so, I mean, what, but when you talk about the Oscars, to me, it's like... Been, it's been very. It's nice that it's talked about now, and it's nice that it's become an issue. But it's true. The truth of the matter is, is that it's been an issue forever. Well, this was. I mean, this was actually the main opening point that Chris Rock made. 
You know, his, oh, his joke was, why is it suddenly this year? You should find it online. Yeah. He did a, he yeah, did a yeah, great job. I mean, he, he, he walked a wire, but he, he made people laugh. And come, yeah. you know, I love comedy and I love comedians who tell the truth and who are not afraid. So then, so what's going to happen to this Citizen Kane thing? So it's going to go, it's going to make its debut at a museum in New Orleans in uh, August 2016, right. so just a little bit. So I have to... And it takes ages to do this, right? Yeah, how, I mean, how long does it take? Yeah, it since 2012. What's the name of it? Is there a peak? Have you got a name yeah, for it? Yeah, it's called All the Black People in Citizen Kane. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty, pretty obvious. <laughs> Well, look out for that. It's a, it's a fascinating um, piece. And again, there's, you know, as Chris Rock said, there's the talking about it, and then there's right. the the way I think that human psyche can understand it by seeing things like this. Because it's very easy to talk about it. You know, it's very easy to talk about casting and why why people of color don't have great roles. But then you read right. something Baldwin from fifty years that. ago, yeah, exactly. and you go, okay, yeah. yeah. Um, so what? So you know, you're you're at this point now in your life where what you you found a nice equilibrium between, I guess, the freelance piece and the art piece. Would that be fair to say, or <laughs> no? Well, I wish. I mean, I, I yeah, it, it is for sure fair to say. Um, uh, you know, I don't have work past Monday, so <laughs> right. If Does anyone, that worry you living your life like that? I, you know, I stop. I've stopped worrying about it. I mean, obviously, there'll be some really hard times if I don't get more work but you know it's like what are you going to do I mean I know how to cook you know what I mean so if I have to I can go cook but it's I don't I don't tend to work well you can this. also you also know how to work in an ad agency if you want to go back in there any place will hire you no one wants me <laughs> if I'm not working an 8 hour job or an 8 to 10 hour day job at an advertising agency I'll work an 8 to 10 hour day job in a in an art studio yeah it's very hard I find it very hard I tried this when I was writing last year in Denver to just get up in the morning and get leave the house and get somewhere to write. Right. You know, even if I wrote right. fucking crap for the day, but at least that's, I was doing it. That's the very whole hard. Process. It was very hard for me to do, and, and uh, I did it. I didn't really know that I wrote much good stuff, but um, it doesn't what, matter. Yeah, it really doesn't matter. I think the. I mean, the I discipline up, of doing it. Yeah, exactly. I get up every day and I meditate, and. Um, I am the fucking worst meditator. It's so bad. This morning it was like grocery list. It was terrible. You know, but like you just have to do it. Like, right. You know what I mean? Like, and other than that, there's nothing more that can be expected of you, I think. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, that, but you also have to be okay with just with the doing part. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you have to be okay with trying and getting... You know, there, none of this stuff happens easily. What, did, what do you like... You know, you're not that old. But what do you say looking back to, on your own things that you've learned? What would be the little oh. couple of pearls of wisdom? <laughs> either, either if you're yeah. able to time travel back to your to your uh, Denver kid self or, or even pass on to your own offspring. I think I would have tried to make the uh, the artwork the thing as opposed to the uh, the thing that paid. And, and I'm not sure that that's probably the right advice, to be honest about it, because yeah. I think that... Because I get paid in other places, I don't have to. I don't think about my artwork commercially at all. No one's going to pay for any of this horseshit, to be honest. <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> but at least not until you're dead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and all of a sudden, it's like, why not? But no, I mean, but so I don't. I think that. Um, I mean, I was on a ski lift the other day, and this old man wanted to give my daughter advice. 
And he said, find something you love and get paid. Get paid for the thing you love. Yeah. And I like that. I thought that was a pretty Simple. good piece of advice. Yeah. yeah um, and I would much rather spend my day, you know, with my head in the clouds. I don't know how that gets funded. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm better. I operate better there. Yeah. The only advice I might give myself is to try to not have too big of a, a, a life of things. You mean responsibilities, or I guess it. I, I mean, I don't know. I, oh, I, actual I physical things. Yeah, I think it's physical okay, things. Yeah. I wouldn't lump my. Children. I agree. With I wouldn't lump my children. You could go with them. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. they're pretty. You mean like couches and yeah, TVs couches, and exactly. beds? Yeah, and stuff. Exactly. yeah, I agree. Yeah, totally. Stuff that you have yeah. to somehow. Find. It's funny when you do. I've had to get rid of them. Uh, I remember I put stuff in storage once in Australia. Like I put four boxes in four of my friends' attics. Great. And then they years went by, and then yeah. they go, "I still have a fucking two boxes of yours in my attic, and we're moving the house." Yeah. What and do you I, mean? he said, "What do you want to do me to do with them?" I said, "Have a quick look and see if there's anything that I would need, in your opinion, in there." That's great. And then chuck it. What'd you get? Nothing. Really? <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Craig Damrower, thank you for Love joining it. me on A Pint yeah. with Shawnee B. It was great uh, having that chat. Again, Thanks. I learned a lot of stuff about you I didn't know, I know. even though we've been uh, drinking quite you. a lot. You <laughs> never tell me, yeah. Um, wonderful to, um, to, to speak to you about your art, and I will see you next time. Thank you, that was fun.